0: UFO Thinker Podcast Hello, and welcome to the UFO Thinker Podcast. My name is Frank and let's get cracking so there's actually been a fair bit going on over the last couple of weeks and uh my apologies for not being able to get any more recent events in i would have liked to have done one last week but just real life circumstances uh, a lot going on at the moment i wasn't able to uh, get one in but the really big bombshell thing that happened recently happened this week and that's what the majority of today's episode is going to be all about which is the revelation of the calvin ufo photograph after 32 years of of mythical uh, status it is finally out so we're going to be talking about that for the majority of today's episode but i will go through a little bit of some of the other recent events just in case anybody's missed any of those and which you would probably want to check out Uh, i won't be going into those in in a great amount of detail but it's probably worth just doing a bit of a summary in case anybody missed some of the the important things that have happened but first of all let's get stuck into the big one which is the uh, release of this calvin photograph So first of all, what is it? Because, you know, we need to know a bit of the background about this actual case because uh, it's important to understand, you know, how this photograph actually came about in the first place. So it's been described as, you know, various different sort of hype worthy titles. <clears throat> like the most fascinating british ufo case you know the best photograph ever taken of a ufo and all this kind of thing i think some of that is a little bit over the top but it is definitely a very intriguing photograph uh, obviously all the more intriguing now the actual photograph itself is out Um by the way before i get into the case if anybody wants to read more about this uh, uap media uk have a, a really thorough uh, article on their website which i'll link in the description of the episode so anybody who wants to read about this uh, in more detail you can check it out there uap media were actually the group who brought this photograph out vinnie adams a member of uap media who i've spoken to on here on the channel before um was the the guy who actually wrote the the article the main write-up um with some help from uh, graham Rendell, who again i've also had on the show in the past and also uh dr david clark was was pretty much the individual who was you know the the forefront person really pushing for this photograph for the last you know couple of decades really and and yeah all of these guys are all members of uap media uk so as i say that article linked in the description so let's get stuck into the actual case itself then so it's it's almost exactly 32 years ago that this happened because it actually took place at about 9 PM in the evening, um, on Saturday, the 4th of August, 1990. And basically two men, I've actually heard some people say there may have been a third, but uh, there's at least two people, uh, two men on on a hillside near Calvin, which is uh, a very small area. Uh, just roughly um, 35, 35 miles northwest of Perth in Scotland. And they were in the kind of middle of nowhere, really, uh, on a hillside. And, you know, there obviously have been some questions raised as to what two individuals would be doing on a hillside at nine o'clock at night, you know, um, in the middle of nowhere. And there have been various explanations for what they were doing up there. Um, I'll let your imagination take you in whatever direction uh, you want to go with that. But I've heard various explanations such as poaching potentially. So they shouldn't have really been there because they were they were hunting for, uh, illegally hunting uh, various different things that they, that they could have been doing up there. But anyway, for one reason or another, they were there nine o'clock at night uh, on a hillside. And what happened was they basically saw a diamond shaped craft, like a, a, a pretty large from, from the looks of it. And by all estimations, diamond shaped object, which basically just hovered pretty close to where they were for roughly around about 10 minutes. And during this time, they managed to actually take six color photographs of the, of this object. And um, after hovering for around about 10 minutes, the object shot vertically upwards at at a pretty high speed. So during the uh, witness statements that were given, which were actually released um, when the National Archives opened up a lot of their UFO reports and things like that in October 2008, in their witness reports that were that were actually given at the time and uh, the two individuals also saw uh, what what are thought to be raf jets actually making low-level flights through this area at the same time as this diamond-shaped object being there and it's, it's not exactly clear what the jets were doing. Were they accompanying this craft? Were they escorting the craft? Were they investigating the craft? You know, it, or was it, was it just a coincidence? It's not exactly clear what the situation is there. But what is known, according to the witness statements, is that this large diamond-shaped object was there hovering, not moving, just staying as it is, and these jets were flying around doing whatever and again that's up to the you know up to each individual to to sort of decide what you think those jets may have been doing so the thing is is that that area is actually quite a common area to find low flying jets it's actually uh, a low flying area Designated as LFA fourteen, low flying area number fourteen, and apparently Graham Rendell, who's a bit of a uh, aviation buff, who again you know provided a lot of information for for some of the articles and things that have been uh, coming out around this particular case. Graham Rendell actually uh, himself has attended that area to actually take photographs because it's obviously, if you're going to take photographs of aircraft, you're going to be want to find an area where there is regular low flying uh, aircraft in that, in that region with so you'd have a better chance of, of capturing good images and, and graham rendle himself has, has used that particular area apparently um to take pictures of of aircraft so it's a fairly common area to to see that kind of thing in terms of the jets um but obviously the the real anomaly there is the the, the large diamond shaped object hovering very unusual so what basically happened was after the sighting the object was shot up and the individuals who took the photographs actually gave an account of their sighting plus the actual photographs themselves um, to the joint RAF Royal Navy headquarters um, which is at uh, Pitrevy which is near Dunfermline which is actually closed now but back then it was still active, and they gave their account plus the photographs themselves to that headquarters right there. And the the negatives of the photographs, because obviously this is back in the old days where you you know you'd have a film, you'd take photographs on a film, and then you'd have to go and take your film to be developed. I'm old enough to actually remember those days, the the old days. And, um, you know, basically they sent the negatives themselves to the the Daily Record, which is, uh, you know, a relatively uh, big newspaper in Scotland. And the idea was they sent the negatives to the Daily Record uh, for, uh, you know, potentially to be published by the newspaper. So uh, uh, one of the journalists from that paper actually got in touch with the Ministry of Defence for comment because there was, uh, you know, presumably some questions as to whether it might be some kind of classified military technology or something. So the journalist has decided to contact the MOD um, to see what they thought and whether or not, um, you know, they'd be all right to publish it, etc and they the journalist was then asked if the mod could could actually take those negatives to be examined and the journalist actually passed them on Uh, and it is thought that the journalist didn't actually take any copies or anything like that they just literally packaged them up and sent them off to the mod apparently the mod or the, the newspaper never actually returned any of the negatives or the photographs or anything like that to the witnesses and which is a bit of a weird twist is that the newspaper didn't run the story or do any kind of report on the particular case which is a little bit unusual um, because you'd expect that would be a pretty big story but you know you could you could assume that it's just purely because it's such an unusual object the fact that there is a presence of an obvious military jet there as well you know you would if you put yourself in the in the shoes of the individual who was who's got this photograph you know if it was just the object you'd think, oh, what the hell is that? But if there's an object there with clearly with military jets going around it, you would probably think that it could be something to do with the military. And if that is the case, you know, you would be quite wary about just publishing that. What if you got yourself into trouble? You know, who knows? So maybe they just thought they were doing the right thing and they handed everything over to the MOD since the MOD had, um, you know, requested that. And um, the MOD basically took all of that stuff then you know anything that could have um you know confirmed that this happened in terms of the negatives in terms of the reports etc and it was all sent to the mod and there's some involvement from a, a gentleman by the name of nick pope who basically um was a former ministry of defense civil servant and staff member of secretariat staff 2a and he also sort of covered the what what has been called the the ufo desk but this was a pretty junior position and it was a small part of his main duties um which has again there's been a lot of debate about this over the years some people uh, you know get a bit heated about this side of things and um, there are people who claim that nick pope massively overstated his his involvement in this topic and um, there have been memos released by the ministry of defense which seem to confirm that what he did there was a, a very small part of his overall role uh, but i'll let you as the listener decide what you think of all of that kind of thing but what's for sure is that nick pope did have some Some involvement in working at the "quote unquote" UFO desk, and what the extent of that is, you know, depends on what side of the uh, debate you're coming from, really. And but what what is pretty clear is that Nick Pope was working there in whatever capacity he had shortly after this actually all took place. So he wasn't there apparently at the time, but he around about a year or so later, after this case took place is when nick pope's kind of uh, uh role yeah you know started to happen uh, in that particular area so uh, nick pope actually included some details of this sighting uh, in one of his books and nick has really talked about this at length and you know some people say that he's basically built a career largely off the back of that particular case and um indeed after this has all come out nick pope has actually made some comments as well which we'll, we'll get to later as part of the kind of what has happened after now this has all unfolded but after nick including uh, this case some of the information in his book there were some questions in parliament asked uh, by mps because it sort of aroused a bit of curiosity and um The actual uh, quote, uh, which was the reply to one of the MPs' questions about this, is um, Nicholas Soames, who's the Minister of State for the Armed Forces, uh, gave a written reply to the MPs' question once it was asked, um, which the the reply is as follows, quote, A number of negatives associated with the sightings were examined by staff responsible for air defence matters. Since it was judged, they contained nothing of defense significance. The negatives were not retained and we have no record of any photographs being taken from them, unquote. So obviously after that MPs, um, you know, comments there, there was a little bit of, um, you know, confusion And it seemed to sort of not correlate with what Nick Pope had talked about, um, especially because Nick Pope had actually said that he had an enlargement of one of the photographs uh, actually as a poster on his wall. And this has become part of the mythology around this particular case. Um, nick popes described it as um easily the most compelling ufo photograph that he'd ever seen and um you know he's 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 really hammed it up he's described it as a structured craft of unknown origin unlike anything that's ever been seen as a conventional aircraft and you know the way that nick pope had talked about it does suggest that at least you know one recreation or one developed photograph was made from those negatives that were sent, um, you know to uh, RAF Petrivi or you know p- potentially, you know it's it's not exactly clear where the photograph that was on his wall actually came from. Was it developed from the negatives? was it potentially just one of the actual shots that were sent directly to one of the developed photographs that was sent to RAF Petrivi that was passed along to Nick Pope's desk. It's not exactly clear, but um, what what apparently happened was one of Nick Pope's senior officers actually removed the poster from the wall uh, once he became aware that it was there. And that was the end of that. And up until very recently, that was the mythology you know nick pope um former uh, ufo desk um yeah, personnel will say um, had 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 this poster it became something um, you know something of, of legend really this this po- uh, this poster existing and obviously everybody's been s- scrabbling around trying to find if there is any actual photographs so um the original photograph that was available that, that you could find on the internet and whatnot was basically a very um grainy it, I've, I've seen people describing it as it looks like it was done on on an escus et, how do you say that et- etcher sketch there you go <laughs> older listeners might remember the et- etcher sketch it was a, 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 a like the typical christmas present in the 1990s uh, i definitely got one of those at one point. Or some some version uh, knockoff version i think it was that i got uh, but anyway they, they were like um, a, a kind of really grainy really crude way of, of of drawing that kids used to use so it was a, it was a really poor recreation and um, that was the only one that was really available uh, on the internet and this was basically a um a, a, a a pretty crude image which was it is clearly representative of the same image that, that is now available uh, and it came out in a batch of ministry of defense ufo files which was released in march 2009 and um that was basically all that was available it was just a standalone image there wasn't any particular uh, you know analysis uh, document that accompanied it or anything like that it, it, you can't really see much it's just a very grainy image and the thing is is that this grainy image was basically all we had to go off and uh, the mod had um basically claimed that they had, had returned the, the negatives to the scottish daily record and um, the newspaper itself uh, wasn't very forthcoming that any of the staff that had been approached said that they didn't really know anything about it um the, the the picture editor of that newspaper is now um passed away um but the picture editor remembered the newspaper receiving them and passed them on to the mod but there wasn't really any uh, further records um, of anything else nobody else who worked at the newspaper was forthcoming the the witnesses themselves um th- there was no further statements other than just the initial witness statements uh, and the whole thing descended into mystery and confusion and just became um, one of these mythical ufo cases until very recently so what basically happened was uh, a lot down to and, and got to give credit where it's due dr david clark has been relentlessly pursuing this for well you know a long long time years and years by this point so he actually managed to track down a raf press officer and uh, I mean, their the investigations. And again, you can go into uh, a YouTube video, which is actually on Vinnie Adams, who wrote the article for UAP Media. Um, you can go to his YouTube channel, Disclosure Team, and see the video that they did, uh, which is Vinnie, Dr. David Clark, and a couple of other people as well. And they talk about how the exact process of what they went through to find this image. And it really involved going to the place and actually putting posters up on lampposts around the area and saying cash reward for anybody who's willing to come forward and f- tell us more about this photograph. You know, they really kind of went boots on the ground and a lot of respect for uh, Dr. David Clark for putting in that, you know, burning the shoe leather as as, the, as we used to say to to actually find some more information about uh, this particular photograph anyway in the end he managed to track down uh, a retired RAF press officer Craig Lindsay and it turns out that Craig Lindsay actually had retained one of these photographs as I say there were six photographs and um, Craig Lindsay had kept one which he describes as being the best photograph and he'd kept that in the envelope and he kept it inside of a book for 30 years forgotten all about it apparently and he, he just must have kept it he must just have had a hunch that there's something important about it maybe it was just his own curiosity he wanted to go back and check it out again um but he had kept one of these photographs and um obviously having tracked him down they managed to get him to hand over that photograph apparently he was initially he was a little bit um concerned about you know giving the photograph over in case he might get into any trouble uh, but the, he was managed to have his his concerns kind of um you know uh, put to rest and, and he did actually hand over the photograph to dr david clark and vinnie uh, so uh, really really good work to get to get to the bottom of this and get the photograph out now and the photograph itself is you can see as part of this article i'm pretty sure if you just google calvin ufo you'll be able to find it now as well and um, we have to say it's not the clearest photograph we're talking about an image that was taken 30 years ago so it's not exactly like the sort of thing that you could capture nowadays with with you know the, the better technology that we have now in in phones and things like that but it is still a pretty clear photograph compared to um the photographs that you know existed or, or the images that existed uh, previously because really the the really grainy one that looked like it'd been done on an etch sketch was so vague it just looks like a couple of shapes i mean you can make out that there is a diamond shape there and there's a jet underneath it but that's about it and uh, it was apparently a line drawing which had been created for imagery analysis Um, so it wasn't even really a a scan of the image or anything it was just like more like a drawing just to give ideas of dimension really um vague this now is is clearly an actual photograph you can see the trees kind of infringing on the top of the photograph you can see the faint uh, shapes of clouds in the background you can see at the bottom of it there's a fence with little bits of um Uh, you've got some little bits of uh, sheep's wool you can see trapped in the fence and you can vaguely see off in the distance along the very bottom of the photograph uh, what looks like the landscape in the distance. So really fascinating and when you look at it right there smack in the middle of the photograph is a massive diamond shaped object and um, what looks like a jet just underneath and slightly to the right hand side of the object. Super fascinating so that is some background about how the actual thing uh, came about, how, how this photograph ended up coming out. And hopefully that gives you a bit of background about the case and where the photograph actually came from. So moving on from that then to some of the, the response, basically, that this photograph has got. Now then, obviously, as you can imagine with something like this, ufo twitter had gone a little bit crazy everybody was weighing in you know the skeptical crowd were you know scrabbling to create the skeptical response to this image you know everybody weighed in with their two pennies as to what was going on in this image and obviously i've been thinking about it as well and i sort of decided that you know it's a very intriguing image but we do have to bear in mind skeptical responses to this and you know i found it quite interesting to sort of see what came out you know what people were putting forward as the explanations for this because what happens when you've previously it was mythical there's not much you can really do with it it was an interesting story it was fascinating to hear about but without the actual photograph without any further big picture information what can you really do with that not a lot but now we've actually finally got this photograph out bit of a different story everybody can really weigh in we've got the real deal it's finally come out after 32 years and what you have to do in that situation is you know let all of the various hypotheses present themselves and then it's like a you know let the, let the various ideas as to what this might be battle it out and see which one comes out on top and we can't say definitively certainly what it was because we, we may never know that but we can go off the, the the hypothesis that that best seems to fit what can be seen in the photograph so with that in mind i thought let's have a look at some of the best explanations and see if any of them actually stack up because obviously the you know the the, the obvious thing as a ufo enthusiast is that this is some kind of non-human craft You know, but there are obviously other sceptical explanations. So let's dig into them. One of the main ones that was been doing the round is the reflection hypothesis. So various sceptics have put this forward. And I must admit, when I first heard about the the reflection hypothesis, I did think, yeah, I kind of get that actually. It sort of could look a bit like that. The diamond shaped object is right in the middle of the photograph my initial understanding of the reflection hypothesis was that it's kind of like um as you're looking at the water there's like a surface level and at that point where the surface kind of meets the sky um there's an island which is reflecting back onto the water so that's kind of one interpretation of the reflection hypothesis that the actual island itself if if you know if if it is indeed an island is, is just breaking the surface level of the water and then the, the, the peak of the the island as it were like a triangle shaped island is reflecting onto the surface of the water uh, causing like um you know the the appearance of a diamond but that particular version of the reflection hypothesis doesn't really work because when you look at the the pattern of the clouds it's quite clear that there is no line down the middle um, you'd have to imagine like a horizontal line that cuts right through the center of the diamond that would be the surface level of the water and it's quite clear from the clouds that there isn't a mirroring effect going on there so that that can't be right the other level uh, the other the way of looking at the the, the reflection hypothesis is if the surface level of the water is actually not visible in the shot so what you're looking at is an object that's just right in the middle of the uh, you know the the, the the actual water itself causing the reflection and the, the surface level of the water as it were um you know there isn't a point within the image that that where the water ends and the sky begins that would be out of shot um so that's the other way and i think that's basically the most common way that people are putting forward of a uh, a reflection hypothesis but i don't think that really makes much sense either and there's been various uh, people who are a lot more knowledgeable about this kind of thing than i am who have actually gone into the reasons and, and put forward some pretty compelling um you know images with explanations as to why that couldn't be the case and i'll, I'll go through the ones that i find the most compelling and um, first of all if you're seeing clouds or anything reflected in in a surface there's generally some kind of uh like a warping effect like a stretching or uh you know the, the reflection won't be exactly the same dimensions as the actual um main you know the, the the image that's being seen in the first place and when you look at the the clouds in this image it doesn't seem that they are a reflection and and also the the light as well you can see that the light from on a cloud obviously is coming from above and the dark part of the cloud is is underneath because that's not being illuminated from the sun coming from above and again it would appear in this image that it does actually fit with um being the sky rather than a reflection of the sky it and it just it's hard to um you know to, to put this into words, not the most scientific way of looking at it, but it just doesn't look like it's a reflection. When you look at it, your gut instinct, you know, it just really doesn't look like uh, a reflection. And I know that that's, you know, one of those things, if you're looking at something that is an illusion, it's not going to look like that, is it? But when I've seen various examples from skeptics that have been shown of, you know, um, examples of how this could work as a reflection, None of them I don't think are particularly convincing. I've looked at them and thought, yeah, that just looks like a reflection. Now, again, it's easy to say that if you maybe if you didn't you weren't thinking about it as being a reflection, you wouldn't notice it, but there's just something that just doesn't add up right instinctively when you look at an image and the reflections that I've seen don't really look like this photograph does you know it just the gut feeling you get is that it's not a reflection and the tweets and things that i've seen with people sharing uh, pictures um in that regard do back up that gut feeling and i think the, the final nail in the coffin for the reflection hypothesis really is the most significant point that points to the fact that it's not um, a reflection is the analysis done by a senior lecturer in photography at Sheffield University, um, Andrew Robinson. And this is included and linked in the UAP Media article. And he has actually zoomed in um, and enhanced the image. And you can see that in the background, underneath where the fence is visible right at the bottom of the photograph you can see a distant landscape which indicates that you are seeing the sky with a landscape visible at the bottom now don't get me wrong it's not exactly clear that it is landscape it's not really um you know the clearest thing to see because as i say it's an old photograph at the end of the day there's only so much detail you're going to be able to make out but when you glance at the photograph to me it looks like you're looking at the sky with a little bit of the the background um landscape being shown underneath and the the actual ha- the uh, analysis that's been done by Andrew Robinson does basically uh, seem to point towards that as being correct as well and at the end of the day this is somebody who's a senior lecturer at a university in photography you know if anybody is going to know what they're talking about it's going to be this guy and the analysis is excellent as well i would definitely recommend uh, people check that out he, i mean the detail he goes into is unbelievable you can narrow down from the way the image looks exactly what type of film was used uh, you know and, and and so forth so it's very very in detail and uh, it's coming from somebody who is a Expert in photography, so I think that for me was was very compelling. That we're not looking at reflection again. I, obviously, at the end of the day, I could be wrong. Maybe it is a reflection, just a very convincing, you know, reflection and that kind of thing. um But I don't think um, personally, I don't think that that is an exp- the explanation for it. But again, each each person can make up their own mind. Another one that was brought forward uh, is the kite hypothesis. So the UFO seems to be a little bit closer than the jet and it it basically appears less blurry on the screen than the jet Uh, and obviously you would think that if the jet was closer than the, the UFO that it would be the other way around and according to the Andrew Robinson analysis the fence is closest, fairly obvious the UFO is in the middle and the jet is furthest away Now, due to the size that that UFO appears in the image and the known size of a jet, um, again, like I say, you would expect to be able to see more detail if um, if the jet was closer than the UFO. And based on the analysis, it would have to be around about 30 meters in length, the UFO would be. So if we're looking at a kite here, That's a pretty big kite. Now, obviously, there is always the uh, possibility that it's a kite much closer to the camera and is not thirty meters in length. But that doesn't stack up with the uh, the the analysis that's been done by the expert here. And also, it just doesn't look like uh, a very close-up kite. You know, it really doesn't look clear enough. I mean, it looks clearer than the jet, but it doesn't look clear enough to be. If it was a kite. It'd have to either be an absolutely enormous kite, thirty meters long, or it'd have to be very close. And I think it'd be much clearer in the image if it was closer. So again, just um, my instinctive reaction to it is that it just doesn't look like a close-up kite. Uh, if it's a, a very very large kite, uh, you've got to ask questions as to how they would have got a thirty-meter kite all the way up onto the, the hillside in the middle of nowhere and managed to get that up in the air. Um, you know, would they have took that risk? with um you know a known low flying area for military jets with obvious jets actually going around in the air they're going to start flying kites you know i don't especially 30 meter kites it just starts to sound a little bit far-fetched um but yeah anyway moving along um that that's kind of my uh initial thoughts on the kite hypothesis And there's kind of two options with the the kite hypothesis as well. Number one is an opportunistic hoax. So somebody just happened to be flying a kite just as a jet was visible in the distance. A picture was taken. It looked unusual. So they took the opportunity to send it to the newspaper claiming it's a UFO. The problem with that is that the the blurry nature of the kite, again, just doesn't seem right. Just as from a layman's point of view, you'd think it'd be much clearer if it was that close to the camera. And as I say, with the Robinson analysis calculating a much more distant object, that leads you to kite hypothesis number two, which is a huge kite as a deliberate hoax. So in that scenario, the determined hoaxers have acquired a kite approximately 30 meters in length, arranged for it to be flown at a very specific distance and angle, waited until a jet was passing and then took the photographs. And again, that would be very risky how would you even get hold of a 30 meter kite is it even possible for a kite of that size to fly um you know and then very risky to do that in a in a known low flying area very dangerous and when you consider um the ministry defense interest in this case as well it, it doesn't really make sense that they would have kept the the details secret for so long for a hoax photograph so Either, the, the, either of those kite based scenarios require a complete discounting of the witness testimony as well as does the, the reflection hypothesis as well by the way and i think that would probably apply to those too. and um, but the the kind of reported movements of the object are just not consistent with either of those hypotheses so you have to consider that because obviously the witness testimony is that the object hovered which i guess technically a kite could do if you caught the wind and controlled it at the right angle and things like that um and then it shot up into the air at a a very high speed a kite not necessarily going to do that unless you just cut the string and it just flies directly up but i wouldn't think it'd fly directly up wind doesn't tend to go from the ground vertically upwards does it so i would suggest that um you know if if you wanted to consider that it was a reflection or um or the kite it would have to be a deliberate hoax or it's certainly most likely that it would be a deliberate hoax either that or it wasn't a hoax but for some reason they decided to completely fabricate these details of the hovering and the the object shooting up so let's consider a hoax then so the robinson analysis rules out the possibility of fakery through manipulating the negative or overlaying a shape onto an image and then re-photographing the image and that kind of thing and and if this is correct as it appears to be it, it would have had to be a physical object photographed at the scene and the particular quote from the analysis there is uh, conclusion: The film grain is consistent with the film identified, and suggests that no manipulation of the image has taken place, and that the image is a genuine representation of a scene in front of the camera. So, you you can question the ability of of Andrew Robinson to be able to estimate the distances involved with the jet and the uh, the UFO and so on, and the sizes of them. But I think somebody who is such an expert in photography it can have a pretty authoritative stance on whether or not something is fake so i'm very inclined to take his word for that uh, in particular and the thing is is that the kite scenario would account for that you know in terms of it would be a physical object that's been photographed but as i've already stated the hoax would also require the witnesses to have lied to to the mod lied to the newspaper and also for the the mod to have actively uh, pursued an, an investigation into this and covered it up for so long why would they have done that if it was a fake image so And obviously, as I say, the hoax would also entail you would have to completely discount the the witness testimonies in terms of the movements that the object made. So I don't find, you know, again, the hoax is possible. But it would have had to have been a very elaborate hoax. You probably would have had to create some kind of huge object, diamond-shaped object, get it into position in a very risky area. You know, somehow get that object up to the a hillside in in pretty much the middle of nowhere at nine o'clock at night. It it, it seems a bit far fetched to me. There's a lot easier ways to create hoaxes, and uh, it's basically to the point where if they managed to pull this off as a hoax fair play to them because they did an amazing job you know but i don't i just don't think that that stands up when you really sort of scratch the surface anyway the other option is u.s black project technology now again in this hypothesis there's a couple of different ways to interpret it you could be looking at number one u.s technology being escorted by a jet or jets potentially more than one you know, some kind of experimental craft which has been developed by the US, which for some reason they've decided to fly in UK airspace. Um, the number two option is it's a UK recreation of some US tech being escorted by jets. And, and with, with both of those scenarios, it actually would make sense that the MOD would want to cover it up and not reveal any information um, on, on that particular case and when i say about the mod's interest and you know uh, you know apparent desire to, to cover this up there were some um, minutes that have been uh, released as part of the october 2008 ufo files which came out from the mod and there is a, uh, a, a quite an interesting insight as to how they actually handled this internally around about the time of it coming out and it kind of says a lot about the mod's line that they wanted to take on this and uh, there's a, a what's described as a loose minute from the 14th of september 1990 to the assistant private secretary undersecretary of state for armed forces and this basically details the fact that the daily record is expected to to run this story and uh, a handy set of responses, uh, responses had been drafted you know just in case anybody inquires about it and uh, in the defensive lines to take section it says quote have looked at photographs no definite conclusions reached regarding a large diamond shaped object next one says quote confident that jet aircraft is a harrier next one says quote have no record of harriers operating in location at stated time and date And the next one says, quote, no other reports received by MOD of unusual air activity or sightings at location, date or time. So they're quite clearly attempting to play this down. And it seems a bit contradictory and weird, doesn't it? That They are confident that this jet is a Harrier but they have no record of Harriers operating there at that time or date. It seems deliberately, I mean, it's clearly a Harrier in the photograph, isn't there? So it seems like a deliberate attempt to sort of cast a bit of a doubt on it, really. And um, the the interesting thing is, is that this particular case was designated you know of enough importance to go beyond the standard line that the mod um tend to take with these things and i've done plenty of FOIA requests they have basically like a boilerplate response which just is you know ufo reports represent nothing of defense significance it's nothing that we're looking into you may be interested to know that we have no existence you know no opinion on the existence of extraterrestrial blah blah blah. They they do the same thing every time but The fact that they specifically have considered what responses they were going to take to this particular case does suggest that there is more importance assigned to this case than what they would do with any other case because they get UFO reports all the time um, you know there, there are UFO reports all the time some of those are reported directly to the MOD but in this case for whatever reason they have decided to attach a little bit more importance to it than what they would usually do which in itself is quite interesting and sort of suggests um, that it is uh, very important and also the typical way that things worked before the introduction of uh, FOIA in 2005 the personal details and things around this case would have been released under the 30 years rule and obviously when it was coming up to the 30 years you know for various people who are interested in this case uh, were uh, interested to see whether or not more information had come out etc et and um, and despite the mod statements in 1990 and 1996 that the, the calvin sighting didn't contain anything of defense significance an announcement was made that some information from it would not be released until at least 2072, which is actually apparently 82 years after the sighting. Now, the thing is, there are various different ways of looking at that. Some people say that it is purely just because of the names and the identities of some of the people involved and that that, that long period of time represents more than the lifetimes um, or the you know the potential lifetimes of any of the people involved just to protect their privacy. on the other hand it does seem a little bit unusual and obviously there are some that say that the the reason for that cover-up is because there's something very sensitive within this case that they don't want getting out but whatever you think of it it is pretty clear there i think that the mod have a particular interest in this case and perhaps covering up this case and there's even been some Speculation about a uh, what's called a D notice, which is basically a um uh you know a very a very uh, specific request to journalists to not cover a certain story. Apparently, it's not legally binding. So if you get a, a d notice of a particular uh, story or something like that, you can actually legally uh, still print the story. But again, obviously, if you're a cautious reporter, cautious enough to have actually sent your um you know negatives and witness reports to the mod if there is any kind of a suggestion that it might not be a good idea to run that story you're probably going to comply with that um so that's that's you know potentially the reason that the that the actual newspaper never actually ran with the story in the end But anyway, that was a little aside just regarding the MOD's interest. Let's get back to um, the actual hypothesis that I was talking about there, which is the US Black Project Tech. And the reason that aside ties in with that is because obviously if it was some kind of US Black Project Tech, um, they would certainly have an interest in keeping that covered up and it would certainly explain why it was... Um, you know the mod took a particular interest in this ufo case more so than other ufo cases if there was some kind of uh, classified technology experimental technology involved that would certainly explain why that was the case so there isn't any actual concrete proof however that the us or the uk actually do have any operable tech that is capable of the movements described by the witnesses And the thing is, is that many people that I've spoken with on or off record have, you know, including, by the way, current and former U.S. Air Force personnel uh, and people in a position to know about what experimental craft even may may be able to do. They strongly refute that anything um, within the, uh, the, the U.S. arsenal could actually do that. Um, you know, hover without any means of propulsion and uh, instant acceleration. In, you know, directly vertically, and you know that that actually could be described as two of the five observables that that Lou Elizondo has talked about quite a lot. You know, being able to hover without any means of propulsion and instant acceleration. It's two of the five observables right there. But the photograph itself doesn't show that. Um, so it's one of those things another thing that was quite interesting is graham Rendell again you know sort of um very thorough investigator you know unbelievable aviation knowledge and um notoriously uh, quite skeptical you know which is kind of uh, you know in some cases can be a, a very good thing um but but graham Rendell, according to his knowledge actually stated that the lead time on average for secret projects like a developmental uh, you know Uh, black project aircraft or whatever it might be the lead time tends to be around about 12 to 13 years if i remember that rightly It's, it's roughly that figure so if it was some kind of black project tech it's been in the pipeline for a long time and that doesn't really seem to stack up in my opinion because you know they clearly were able to operate the craft it was there it was hovering in the air so if you've managed 32 years ago to get this huge diamond shaped object to hover and potentially even shoot upwards if you if you believe the the eyewitness reports why has it took so long for that to actually become rolled out into the rest of the military it doesn't really seem to add up if the average development time is about 12 to 13 years to become operational why was it near enough operational 32 years ago but they still haven't really rolled it out you know you could argue that they've managed to bring it to fruition but they've just kept it you know withheld it as a secret weapon or something like that potentially but again it's maybe you could interpret that as another um you know as another example of why it isn't black project tech anyway we'll come back to that in a little bit i think the other thing that you have to bear in mind here is that even going back to the early 1900s you know and and even before that there have been reports of anomalous objects hovering silently and shooting off at high speed it's one of the kind of classic things that you hear time and time again from eyewitnesses now obviously back then there certainly wasn't any photographs of them and you know in the 1800s and things it was mostly just eyewitness reports and and going way back even before that and some of this is brilliantly presented in uh, a david marler presentation which i retweeted a little while ago uh, and if, if you want to watch this by the way i'll, I'll try to remember to uh, leave a link in the description for this as well and um, david marler is, is pretty much the leading authority on triangular ufos so the triangular rather than diamond shaped, but some of the ones that he has investigated also have a bit of a crossover into diamonds and whatnot and in the presentation he very clearly goes back through you know the history of these anomalous silent objects that are able to hover and move silently at high speeds and shoot off into you know unbelievable rates of acceleration and that that goes back to the early like i say it goes back hundreds of years a very credible multiple witness reports of these types of objects and i think you have to bear that bigger picture in mind you can't just you know say oh it's probably just black project tech because there have been thousands of reports of objects doing very very similar things going back hundreds of years and they definitely weren't black project tech when you bear that bigger picture in mind i think it's it starts to take on a bit of a different significance also tim mcmillan um a very uh you know well-connected individual um, journalist for, and founder of the of the debrief website who i've talked about quite a lot before um, and a, a very thorough knowledge of the u.s military and uh, very well connected with sources etc and, and a great overall knowledge of the ufo topic and he's been spot on with a number of production uh, with pr- predictions about certain things over the last few years so when tim mcmillan talks i tend to take take it on board and tim mcmillan's tweet from a couple of days ago was quote i have no clue what the apparently airborne object in the calvin ufo photo is however i'd say with a very high degree of certainty it is not some classified aerospace platform in the inventory of any nation state or commercial enterprise unquote so and again tim mcmillan doesn't just make comments like that offhand that will be an informed opinion from you know knowledge that he's got from through his career, all of his source networks, and he is very strongly refuting the fact that it's a, a US black project tech. So essentially, people who are in a position to know more than most seriously doubt that the US has capabilities shown by this Calvin object. Not to mention the other thousands of sightings of similar behaving objects dating back over a 100 years and um, the remaining hypothesis obviously is a non-human advanced technology you know and, and as far-fetched as that might sound it actually does account for all of the various unusual aspects of this case and it, and it also correlates with that big picture in terms of historic sightings going back to even before humans had powered flight so is there a way to actually prove that this is a non-human piece of technology? You know, unfortunately I have to say no, not at this stage. You know, what you would need, I think is more corroborating eyewitness testimony, you know, radar operators, multiple other eyewitnesses, you know, perhaps locating the original photographers and trying to get them on record to flesh out the case a little bit, you know, do an interview. Um, you know, a testimony of one of the pilots who was flying those jets on the day, you know, that would basically take this to the level of data density that you would be able to make a much better informed decision as to what actually was going on there. That would take it to the Nimitz, tic-tac type of level, you know, and that's the thing, you know, the Calvin object, the Calvin case is... Is it, is it deserving of its title of one of the best UFO photos ever taken? You know, I think you could say, yes, it, it is one of the best UFO photo, photos ever taken. But I think there's a very important distinction to be made there that is it one of the best UFO cases ever taken? Cases, that's a bit more questionable. But as a photograph, it is undoubtedly one of the most intriguing UFO photographs. I mean, it is... you know without question it's a true unidentified you know all of the most compelling hypotheses fail to explain what's in that photograph you know i don't think the reflection the there's also a few others like the distant mountain so a couple of people have managed to overlay the 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 object over the top of a peak that's found in that area and they claim that what it represents is you know fog with only the peak of a mountain poking through which just so happens to be a perfect diamond shape and it just doesn't add up to me i mean it's interesting and, and fair play to the people for putting the time and effort into developing these hypotheses but i don't think it fully explains what's been showing in the photograph there and um so that for that reason it is a true unidentified object which is what a ufo is isn't it you know if it was an identified object it wouldn't be a ufo anymore we'd be able to say definitively that it is definitely a non-human piece of tech but you know I, i almost kind of hate to say it but that is really you know when you've eliminated all of the other hypotheses as to what it could be and none of them are really stacking up whatever's left is is you know potentially the most likely explanation and uh could that be what it is now the thing is is that a a non-human piece of technology bearing in mind could still be quite a large number of things um you could be looking at extraterrestrial we could be looking at something which is ultra terrestrial which has been you know some kind of advanced um you know race of intelligence that's existed on this planet alongside us for a long long time we could be looking at you know crypto terrestrial and um, there's there's interdimensional you know intertempestrial and there's so many sorry extra tempestrial i believe is is michael masters uh, preferred um, wording for that extra tempestual is 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 basically time travelers you know some kind of intelligence that's coming from another another time and um, there's plenty of different explanations as to where the origin of this object could be coming from um but it certainly doesn't seem at this point in time to be any kind of a, a, a hoax a reflection a misidentification of like a kite or anything like that so I would say there is a strong argument in this case. Let's just put it that way. I can't say for sure, but I would say there is a strong argument, certainly a lot stronger of an argument than most UFO pictures, that it is some kind of non-human technology. Now, as I say, in terms of the bigger picture, that is where this case falls down. As a photograph, it' great, a fantastic UFO photograph, very interesting, a lot clearer than a lot of others. And um, there is some bigger picture information there, but can you stand this next to something like the Nimitz case with all of the corroborating eyewitnesses involved in that, and you know all of the sensor systems and the FLIR video as well to actually you know prove that there was actually some kind of an object there? Um, You know, I I don't think it's as dense in terms of the data uh, on this particular case, but the key thing is it still has the potential to become more data dense will there be any further witnesses coming forward to add the details you know possibly the attention that this photograph release will have generated may pr- prompt others to come forward i mean can you imagine if one of the the jet pilots who was there on the day that was flying around sees this photograph coming out you know, it's, a, it's a, you know, a very elderly person by this point in time, potentially, you know, maybe they see this photograph coming out and they go, do you know what? I'm going to actually do it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to, I'm going to be interviewed by somebody. Yeah. Just on the off chance there's any jet pilots listening to this, feel free to drop me an email, ufothinker at uh, hotmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, or ufothinker at protonmail.com. Uh, but, you know, uh, you know, is it possible that there could be more witnesses coming forward? Um yeah and and that would really benefit this bigger picture imagine if some kind of corroborating radar data shows that there was an object in the area at this at that exact time and uh, you know on top of that the the actual photographers come forward and start doing interviews and you maybe even you get a jet pilot that is when it really starts to hot up and I can tell you this as well as a bit of a, an exclusive. Um, I actually managed to reach out to Vinny, who who wrote the article for UAP Media UK, uh, and Vinny, I actually asked him first thing i asked him was is the highest resolution version of this photograph going to be available because at the time the only one we had in the article wasn't the full resolution Uh, and and he did confirm to me that it was going to be available and actually at the time of recording this it is actually now available if you scroll to the bottom of the article you can click a link for the full high resolution version of the image without any watermarks on it which i think is a great move and very important to have that for analysis purposes um uh, but the second question i asked him which is probably more interesting is have you got any active leads you're following to find any more witnesses and any more um potential leads to to provide you know corroborating data or, or witness testimony uh, and vinnie confirmed to me that yes there are so yeah, I, I didn't get much of an indication as to what they are, but apparently they have leads and it, it ain't over. So the reason I got an inkling that that might be the case is that David Clark said something to that effect when he was talking in the video and um, he said, oh, congratulations to all the team, you know, we've done so well to get this out, but, you know, it's not over yet. And I thought, ah, what could he mean by that? So that's why I asked a question to Vinny. And Vinny did confirm, as I say, that they do have more leads. So this this photograph coming out really isn't the end. It could actually just be the beginning because the attention that this has got, I mean, we're talking about this has been in the Daily Mail, The Sun, Joe Rogan actually retweeted it uh, on his on his Twitter account as well, which really blew up and got quite a, a large number of interactions. Um, we could well see this being a bit of a catalyst for other people who might have information coming forward and as i said you know the uap media guys have actually got some more leads on this that they're following up on so we'll see if any of that comes to fruition that is what we need i think to make this the ultimate i mean it could become the, the ultimate um ufo case at the moment i don't think we're quite there it's a great photograph very fascinating but without all of that bigger picture stuff i think we're struggling to say anything for sure but yeah let's see what happens as we as we move along you know to me i think to conclude i think the most likely explanations are either some kind of advanced us or uk or joint project black budget tech could you know i, I don't want to think that that's what it is but it's still a, you know it's an option i think that we have to leave on the table Um, you know And there is also the possibility of something else as well, which I I think I've mentioned earlier, I'd come back to this. So let me just quickly get this in as well. So I had considered the possibility of some kind of training exercise um, zeppelin type object. Now, bear with me, you know, I know what you'll be thinking, listen, oh, he's going to say it's a big, just a balloon. No, the thing is, though, I think we do have to consider it, you know, even though I don't think it's uh, necessarily, you know, there's nothing to say definitively that this is definitely the explanation, but it did just occur to me, so it's worth mentioning. But since we know that it is a basically a training area it's a low flying area that the RAF operated their jets in at that particular time and I've also heard as well from a couple of my my sources that there is a runway in that area which is known for being um, a very large runway which can um, be used to Launch, you know, certain types of vehicles that need specific uh, requirements for a runway, and there is a known runway in that area which you know has been rumored to have, um, you know, uh, housed things like the the Aurora, you know, various Black Project um, technologies in the past. So we know that there is the possibility of unusual aircraft being launched in that area, and what what occurred to me was, if you look at this object. It does sort of appear to have some kind of like a, a people have described it as like a crust, or you know, um you know, um, Dave smethurst obviously, you know, um, sort of a co-conspirator um, has mentioned that it sort of looks a bit like a tarpaulin, like a camouflage netting of some type, and I was just thinking about you know, could it potentially have been some kind of Zeppelin used in a training exercise where. Um, you know they they the jets have to sort of navigate around this huge balloon that's covered in military netting or potentially some kind of i I don't know like uh, what occurred to me was a, a, a zeppelin type of airship that may have been attached a payload to it like potentially some kind of experimental bomb or nuclear bomb even um that could silently hover uh and 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 float along and then drop its payload over a certain area maybe they were experimenting with technology uh that could do that and you know they were sort of testing how that craft that huge balloon object would react if uh, jets flew within close proximity to it you know so th- there are explanations uh that, that that can be brought forward that that may rule out non-human tech and that's why I think we need that bigger picture data and more eyewitnesses and all the rest of it. And if we get that, it'd be a lot easier. Like let's say for example, we get some, you know, a radar operator who just so happened to be in the area and uh, they saw that they, they tracked this object moving at a speed that a balloon could never move at. Then obviously you can rule that out. Brilliant. And and, you know, that kind of thing. So that's why I think we need that extra bit of information. Um, and the thing about the, the zeppelin uh, hypothesis is that you know if that zeppelin as part of the training exercise or maybe even as an accident was freed from its tethers uh it would shoot directly upwards wouldn't it if it was some kind of an airship with a um you know a buoyant gas inside of it you know so it is an explanation that that did occur to me i don't necessarily find that the most compelling but I'd, i thought i'd just throw it out there as well but as I've said, you know, I have to be honest, I think with, with all the explanations that have been brought forward by other people, including my own little Zeppelin hypothesis that I just mentioned, all of them are very difficult and they don't really add up to the overall um you know, the overall explanation that that fits all the pieces of the puzzle for example just to debunk my own hypothesis if you've got uh, some kind of hydrogen balloon or something like that floating around where in close proximity to jets that's going to be very very dangerous you know Um, and by all accounts these jets were making pretty close passes to this thing and that would be extremely risky wouldn't it if you had some kind of massive object just floating in the sky um, especially if it's filled with any kind of a gas now i don't really know i'm not an expert maybe there are inert gases that have been developed that by this point that that um, you know don't explode or something like that who knows uh, and, and again the other thing is that if you've got some kind of a zeppelin like that some kind of huge experimental diamond shaped craft covered in camo netting you're not just going to allow that To float up and just disappear off into the ether right because what if it then floats along and lands on a city or something you know so again a lot of these explanations they might sound convincing on the surface of it but when you start looking into the details they don't necessarily add up um and the one that really does fit all the pieces of the puzzle would be some kind of non-human tech but we can't say for sure that's what it is without more data and more witness testimony etc so a fascinating case i've obviously been thinking about this quite a lot recently uh, as you can imagine and um, as you can probably tell from how long i've been talking about it just now Uh, but yeah super interesting and i think um, with the limited data that we've got available that's about as far as we can go but i'm very interested to see if more information does come out about it and we shall see but um, the other things just quickly that i wanted to mention and it's a shame i've not had a chance to get into these in more detail because there were some absolutely fascinating um, bits of information in here and um, one of the key ones was um, howl put off has just released a paper uh, last week or, or like about 10 days ago which was about um, ultra terrestrials essentially uh, that's what it was about and Uh, you can now actually read that paper as well if you just type in how put off ultra terrestrials paper um, you can read all about that and and it's a very fascinating hypothesis that could explain some of the um you know characteristics and, and some of the patterns within ufo sightings again you know it's kind of gone are the days of just thinking of little green men being somewhere off on a distant planet and they fly here in a tin can and say hello to us and stuff. It seems a bit simplistic. We have to consider these other options, and many people within you know high level government departments, you know top physicists and 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 great thinkers, that this is the kinds of things that they're considering, and we're talking about ultra terrestrials, extra tempestrials, people essentially n- intelligences originating from you know potentially another dimension uh, the ultra terrestrial thing is is as i mentioned earlier in the show um a potential type of intelligence that's been existing here on earth uh, with with us this whole time and uh it is a, a very interesting concept because it really does explain a lot of things about like if you look at the vastness of the universe, how on earth would they be able to get here and so on? I mean, again, the advanced propulsion may may make that possible, but it's just so vast, um, and the 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 explanations that have been put forward, like ultra terrestrial, do kind of bypass a lot of the big problems, the hurdles that you have to overcome with things like the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and um, the the ultra terrestrial hypothesis is is defined as. Um, like a superior non-human entity of natural or what we might call supernatural origin that is indigenous to this planet planet earth Um so it's essentially something that could have existed here alongside us all along you know and and there have been many uh comments from people like lou elizondo maybe you know we're dealing with something that's been here for a lot longer than we Uh, Have uh, and that leads me really nicely actually onto um, uh, some comments that were made by Gary Nolan, Dr. Gary Nolan on the Tucker Carlson show. And again, this is one that you really need to check out. So it's Gary Nolan, that's G A R R Y Nolan, N O L A N, on Tucker Carlson. If you type that into YouTube, you'll be able to find the whole interview. It's about an hour long, and Gary Nolan is person that i've talked about a lot on the show Uh, he did a a paper uh, a a little while back with jack valet talking about how to best analyze anomalous materials which was absolutely fascinating i did a big breakdown about that and gary nolan literally is a guy whose day job is to cure cancer this is like a real genius level scientist who is actively trying to cure cancer And I I found out the other day as well that he himself has had cancer, I think about ten times. So obviously uh, uh, he's he's okay and he's still he's still fine now. But he's he's genetically susceptible to getting cancer himself, and he's had various types of skin cancer uh, and uh, some other types of more more um, uh, more difficult to treat cancers as well. And you know he's made it his life work basically to to treat cancer. Uh, I mean, what a, a hero of the human race, you know, to do that kind of thing, to be gifted and you know, have that intelligence and that ability and to use that to actually try to cure cancer is, is really remarkable. Um, and on top of that. You know, he's made the inventions uh, as to analysing biological material um, that have actually been adopted by many mainstream scientists all over the world. Really just an incredible uh, individual and also has a very strong interest in the UFO topic. And he was on Tucker Carlson. And um, the reason that I I link that to the Hal put-off paper is that he makes a a comment there, which is, uh, if they've really been here all along whose planet really is this and that is a pretty scary thought isn't it and uh, I think on that bombshell I'll leave it there for now so as I say I just wanted to get Hal Puttoff's paper and the Gary Nolan interview in and to to tag on to the end of this because they technically are not that recent now it's kind of a week or so ago and but very I really recommend checking both of those things out So on that note, I'm going to leave it there for now. If you've enjoyed the episode and you've listened right the way through to the end here with me, then thank you very much. You're obviously a hardcore listener of the show, and I really appreciate you. And uh, if you do want to support the show, I have a Patreon page, uh, which is... You know, it's one of those things. If you get a lot out of the podcast, um, and you want to to go a little bit further to supporting what I do here, um, I really appreciate that, and you can do so via Patreon. And it's literally you can donate uh, from a couple of pounds a month. Uh, I think the, the minimum tier is $2 which works out about £1.50 if you're in the UK um, and what that does is it just allows me to dedicate more time and help me to cover all the costs associated with making the podcast. Uh, I like to think it as like a value for value thing so if you're listening to this and you're going What are you going on about, Frank? You know, I only listen now and again. I'm not spotting your bloody podcast. Fair enough to you. (laughs) You can keep listening for free. That's absolutely fine. Um, But, you know, if you get a lot out of it and you hear all the time and you listen right the way through to the end of every episode and you think, you know what, I won't mind buying him a coffee fair play to him for the work he's put in then obviously you can do just that and you can head on to patreon and sign up for one of the the lower tiers and obviously again if you're in a position to do so and you want to add even more support there are higher tiers available as well for like five pounds and ten pounds a month and things like that so i really appreciate everybody who chooses to support it really helps me to push this thing forward and devote more time to it as we go along i've got big plans that i would love to do but it all depends on having the right support and the time to do it so thank you to everybody who does already support on patreon anyway moving on from that then that is about all we've got time for for today so thank you very much for listening and till next time stay curious take it easy and i'll catch you in the next episode UFO are podcast